Carlos Alberto Diago is here for uh, for all sports travel. Brazil versus Argentina. Packages are available. Sportstravel.com.au. We're looking forward to that one. Just around the corner, Francis. I can't wait for the uh, South Americans to come and have it out. Uh, here at the MCG. And, Can I just uh, say they really, really don't like each yeah, other? They don't. Right? And there's no such thing as a friendly between these, there is none. these two. Uh, I happened to be in Rio de Janeiro when the Argentinians turned up en masse <laughs> for the World Cup final. Yep. It's fair to say that uh, <laughs> everyone in green and gold on yep. who wasn't an Argentinian in Brazil was pulling so hard for Germany. Yep. Even though Germany spanked them 7-1 in the yes. <laughs> But they it like, was the biggest day of relief in Brazil yeah. ever when they got beaten in the final. Yeah, we were in Rio for, uh, that's where we were staying with our tour group when we were over there. And of course, Argentina played at uh, the Maracanã, one of their group games. I think it was against Serbia or someone like that. Anyway, and uh, and those Argentinian fans party hard. Oh yeah, they're good fun. Yeah, but you, you just don't want to be, just in case they get a bit angry, you don't want to be anywhere near them though, because they can turn very, very quickly. But beautiful. Once, uh, once everything's going their way, but if it doesn't go their way a little bit, they get a bit testy. If you had to go, if you like, okay, let's just write. <laughs> if you had to have a party, would you invite the Chilean fans before you invite the because the Chilean fans to me remain the numero uno yep. of fan experience. There's nothing better than being with a crowd of Chileans at the football. Well, they are absolutely. Let me tell you about mad. the. Let me tell you about the Diego's Australia Chile that first game. You know how all you guys were over the other side, with all green and gold. Well, the four Diego's in amongst. <laughs> I don't know how we got these tickets. We're in amongst 10,000 Chileans who let us have it the that... minute that game started. I thought I, I, thought I would have had, to, had me and four, three other guys, three brothers, uh, would have had to have a, a fight with 10,000 people that day because uh, <laughs> they let us have it from the moment where there was no, you know, let's look after these lozzies or whatever. When they scored, they just turned around and just let us have it. Yeah. And when we equalised? Yeah. Uh, no, I'd let them have it, but then again, they gave me dirty looks, so I stifled that for a bit. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Glory days. That's going to be a great game. Seriously, it will be yeah. fa- fantastic, Brazil versus Argentina at the MCG. I think it's getting close to selling out, but uh, sportstravel.com.au is where to go. Uh, much closer to home, Melbourne Victory had its uh, victory medal on the weekend. Yes, and I, you know, the dance floor was uh, was rocking towards the end, France. I think I saw you, you know, you know, yeah, showing a little <laughs> bit of toe on the dance floor there, uh, but it was a fantastic night, and, uh, and uh, of course uh, we had the SEN table there we enjoying did. it. We had a great time. Carl Valeri, the medal winner, the, the victory medal winner, and what a fantastic speech that it uh, really was, yeah. wasn't it? Oh, we forget that Carl was so sick a year mm. ago, or just over a year ago, that he was unable to uh, to play. He had serious neurological problems that barely could walk across the road. Talks to tell this very touching story about his wife help, having to help him literally walk across roads and. You know, it was an extraordinary... You know, I've forgotten all that when he returned and played so well. Yeah. In grand final day, he was an absolute lion out there for Melbourne Victory. So I forgot that you know, he'd come from such a long way back with that illness. And with all the changes in teams, I mean, they just seems like wholesale changes at the end of every season. You just forget that these guys are a real family. And the way Carl spoke about his teammates and didn't look at anyone else in the crowd, just looked at the tables of, uh, of teammates and their families and just told them... Um, you know, or describe to them what they meant to him and uh, and how he overcome. It was it was a very very serious illness, uh, the um, the brain sort of uh, virus that he had, and uh, and there was not you know forget about playing football. There was talk about that almost uh, you know um, affecting the rest of his life, and uh, and the way the club supported him and the way his teammates were right behind him, and I just got a really sense about what these football clubs are all about it's a real family and they do things for each other and uh, and especially when the worst 
you know, is on the horizon. They're the ones who uh, who stick by you. Uh, as the Melbourne Footy Club are uh, doing with uh, Jesse Hogan in the AFL as well. Mm. It certainly does bear out there too, doesn't it? Uh, and, uh, you know, victory themselves, already things are starting to change even before they, they, they had the victory medal on the weekend. We... I've heard that Rashid Mahazi is uh, yep. deciding to take. This is quite a big story. You know, he took walking away from football for the time being. He has some family issues that need addressing uh, back you know, in the land of his birth in Kenya, and he's decided that's a big sacrifice for this young man to make. Absolutely. I mean, this is a boy that's actually spent a lot of his early years as a as an adolescent footballer in South America, trying to build, learn his craft and and trying to be uh, you know refine his skills and also the mentality you need to go on. To, be a professional footballer. He came back to Australia. Victory picked him up. I think he's been the favourite, Kevin Musker. Wherever he, whenever he has been available, he's played him. Um, didn't play a lot this year, but he, he looked like a player at different times that had a big burden on his shoulders. I felt Danny Vukovic was like that last year. No one knew what 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 was sort of wrong, but I just felt that there was something. And I, 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 when I'm watching uh, Mahazi play this year, I thought at different times, it was like just uh, the whole weight of the world was on his shoulders. So now we know, obviously, it was a lot deeper. And uh, that's why I think, you know, I'm always reluctant to really go hard at uh, players who aren't playing well or, or just not getting it right because you, you don't know what is happening in the background. And, of course, for Rasij at 25, uh, leaving the game indefinitely, uh, you know that it's got to be quite serious. Whatever his, uh, you know, his next stage is going to be with his family. Yeah, we wish him all the very best. Thomas Deng's returning though. He's been overseas yeah. for a couple of seasons, and now he returns to Melbourne Victory once again, as they've done with other players. Have welcomed him back. They did. Marco Rojas has come back. Uh, you know, there's been any number of players who've, who've gone away and returned. Archie Thompson did it. Uh, it's it's a repeating pattern, isn't it? What I like, James Troisi. Yeah. What it? I like about this one, though, Francis, those other guys were overseas and things didn't go quite right, and they came back and rebuilt their careers. With Thomas Deng, young enough to go over there, but very young enough to get lost over there too. And we've seen so many of them go over there, super talented players go over there and get lost, even if they're in the great academies. We don't hear about them for years and years yeah. and years. So I'm really glad that for for once we got this lone player back after 12 months. He's got what he's got over there. Now, he'll be playing senior football. He was playing senior football before he left, if you remember, in big derbies and, yeah. and looked a really accomplished centre-half. So I think that's a fantastic move. I can see now why... They're, they've let Barrow go and they've not re, uh, uh, you know, extended his contract. And Ansel, which was a surprise also because I think he's been a bit of a favourite son, young enough still to be a leader at that club. He's going off. Uh, apparently, the official line is to pursue overseas uh, you know, opportunities. But uh, I think now with Reese Williams, they've picked him up. They've got Deng and they've uh, got um, the third one in there is um, uh, Donicky. So I think they'll probably rotate that central defence between those three. And uh, I think they're all good players. And they're all, you know, uh, well, Reese Williams is a guaranteed uh, great player if he gets game time and he keeps on playing regularly, especially as a soccer level type player. But Deng and Donnie here are two young centre-halves that I think will just keep on getting better Nine game four, time. 9421116 is the number. If you, you want to give us a call for Huawei, Huawei a step ahead. Uh, Carlos Alberto Diego here talking the world game with us. It is that issue, though, of churn in the A-League. Again, players, uh, you know, changing clubs at such a high volume. It, it does feel like the same names turning out in different shirts. And I think that's a problem for the competition. 
Yeah, it is, and I, I'm not quite sure. I know that the PFA were worried about it, uh, but, you know, if you're giving freedom to players to move because you don't want the restraint of trade around their movement... Which is understandable. Yeah, you know, you've got to allow clubs to, to do what's best for them too, and uh, and the coaches are making these decisions. Tony Popovich is probably, the, you know, the well, most well-known in this area, and he's got rid of some, some terrific players in uh, in his squad uh, and now looking to rebuild, and he's got three back very three in very quickly with Risden, Thwaite, and also uh, Bonavaccia now at uh, West Sydney Wanderers. So I think this is just the way of the world in, in A-League, and um, and it's got to go both ways. The clubs have got to get some you know uh, some right to be able to turn players over if the players also don't want the restraint of trade about their movement. In Brisbane Raw, Jamie McLaren yeah. tweeted last night, on the move, going. Yeah, yeah. and he's got a lot of... Uh, from <laughs> There's a story a couple of months ago that he had 80... 80 offers on the table or something, or 80 clubs around the world who were um, who were interested in him. And the, the word is that he may end up going to you know Bundesliga 2 or something like that to refine his, uh, his striking skills. He's one guy that I, I really want Australian football to invest in because to get uh, you know a prolific goal scorer, uh, I think if you score a lot of goals in the A-League, there's no reason with the right training, with the right coaching, the right mentoring overseas that you can't score goals over there. And we don't have these in, in abundance, these sort of players. So I'm kind of hoping that guys like him, like uh, uh, Adam Taggart's another one, these guys are born goal scorers. If we nurture them well enough, suddenly we'll get the benefit down the track. Well, Jamie, has it played, I think, one time for the soccer? Yeah. He played against England, in fact, at uh, the Stadium of Life. Yeah. He got his you know, first cap. That's, that's a memorable way to make your soccer. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult for a player like him who's, who's terrific running towards goals and playing off the shoulder of defenders. Yeah. Uh, In international it's, football. It's, it's really hard. There's yeah. not the room behind defences to do that. Uh, but he, he'll need to learn. He's only young. He'll need to learn to be able to, you know, play with his back to goal because a, a lot of those sort of international footballers at the, you know, are playing up high. They've got to be able to play with back to goal and bring other people into the game. And we'll see how he goes from there. Fitz is on the road. He's given us a call. You can too. 94291116. Hello, mate. Okay, Frankie and Carlos. How are you, lads? Good, Good mate. mate. Mate, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, first thing is, uh, I haven't heard much from Melbourne City in terms of uh, what's going on with their coaching or turning over a uh, player list or squad roster. Uh, and also, a second thing, uh, Carlos, look, I went to, as you, as you do yourself, uh, went to a, I wasn't affiliated or supporting any, uh, any club on the weekend. I went to a state league game on the weekend where a mate of mine invited me because there was a rivalry, a clash between two rivals. And, uh, Great game, great spectacle, great crowd. There's a massive number. It was a beautiful day on Saturday as well. Um, but as always is the case in Victoria, and, and it happens widely around Australia, that it takes a couple of uh, morons to ruin it. And uh, what was a great game, I don't want to mention the clubs or put them out on the radio, on the airway, but it just keeps happening time and time and time again. And either when are these clubs going to stamp out these individuals that cause... Yeah, look, basically what happened behind, uh, after the game ended, uh, you had a couple hundred people in a small confined area with little kids and, and stuff like that. It erupted almost to become a bloodbath, but thank God there was a couple of good people there, good Samaritans that actually defused the situation. But when are clubs and the Federation going to seriously stamp out this sort of behaviour? I know, look, it's hard because you've got ethnic clubs and you know, their background, but surely this, 
got to end. Yeah, no, it does have to end. And, and I don't care what the ethnic uh, makeup or, yeah. or history of the club is. Uh, behaviour, you don't get a free pass for poor behaviour because of uh, where you come from. But we get that in suburban football and the do. AFL and also the... I mean, you, you get these, you know, alcohol or whatever it may be, uh, just idiots who, who want to start a bit of fighting. But just going back to the original point that Fids made about the coaching position at Melbourne City, from all the media reports that are out there, they're talking about having a decision, an overseas coach, uh, you know, a decision made by the end of the uh, end of May. So uh, I think they know how important it is. We've had Matty Thompson, uh, former uh, city captain, coming out uh, recently, and also Clint Bolton talking about the need to have a strong personality in that change room who runs strong personalities. It's it's that leadership right throughout that club that they've got to look at, and uh, and I think it just starts with the coach. Could it be Roy? He's not strong enough for me. The guy, Roy yeah, no, he's got an. He's got. Look, I tell you, back in his Switzerland days when he was running uh, the Switzerland national team, where his best football coaching uh, uh, was on display. I think no problem. I think the guy's done too much in the game right now for him to have the hunger in the in the belly for me. But look, he could that could prove me wrong. But I, 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 I would be surprised if it was him. But. You know, he, he may have been here to have a look. <laughs> was here look for a at, fair yeah. while. Yeah, that's right. And he a good holiday to. in Melbourne. Yeah. We'll wait and see. Big decisions to be made there. Thanks for your call, Fids. Carlos Alberto Diego talking the world game here, and he's here for All Sports Travel. Uh, Brazil versus Argentina packages. Go to allsportstravel.com.au. And Simon is in sunshine. Wants to have a chat. G'day, Simon. G'day, Frank. And g'day, Carlos. How are you, mate? How are you, mate? Frankie, I've got a question for you, mate. Go on. Tell me, do you believe... Do I believe what? <laughs> Just say yes. Please say yes. And I'll tell you why. He's a believer, Simon. Okay. He's a believer. Oh, you're a believer. All right, that's what I want here. Mate, the almighty Gooners, we're going to finish fourth with Oh, Simon. <laughs> we're going to do it. Simon. You know that the, the, those scouses of Merseyside are going to crumble. They always do. I always do it. We're talking about Middlesbrough. We've got Barrett. At Anfield, yeah. At Anfield. Simon. And, no, no, no. Hold on. And it's, even if they do, you know that City... They always let their supporters, they let, they let their fans down all the time, time in, time later. Mate, they're going to scumble. So I'm going to hear one of the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> what a fool believes. Seriously. Hey, I hope you're right. No, no, Simon, I, Simon, no what, I don't what you're going to do is keep the expectations <laughs> low because that's what's got you to this point. <laughs> yes. Right on the fringe of maybe Save the excitement four. for the. I'm, yeah. I'm excited about the cup final, Simon. I'm, I'm yes. saving it there. I think we might be a chance to knock off a, a Chelsea team that might have, uh, yeah, might take their eyes off the yeah. prize. Direct so, entry into Europa League. Hey, the Cup. can we just, before we move on, <laughs> did you catch Jose Mourinho's comments following the final uh, game at White Hart Lane on the weekend? Yeah, the only from what you've told me. Uh, it was outrageous. Yeah, yeah. He said, oh, we don't really care about this game, basically. We're not a team. We're just a group of players. Yeah. We're all focused on the Europa Cup. They've still got a game at home against Crystal Palace to come, I think it is. Yeah. Not gonna, it's just like Premier League football. He yeah. said, well, we don't give a stuff. No. We don't care. And this is about a competition that he used to make fun of about four years ago. Uh, now look, it's the only trophy Manchester United have never won. It's suddenly important. It hits them really hard financially. Uh, I think their shirt sponsor gets reduced. Uh, the money they get from their shirt sponsorship gets reduced by 30% if they don't make the top four. And this is their only chance to do it. It almost uh, salvages you know, their, their season by so making the top they, four. So if they win the Europa Cup... Yep, they go straight into the uh, European Champions League group stages. So there's no playoffs or anything. They're straight in there. So what happens to the fourth-place team? No, they uh, they the fourth-place team is in the playoffs. They have to play off anyway. Yeah. It's not a, a direct uh, into the group. So, yeah. There you go. Anyway, yes, uh, good, good of you to care. So <laughs> good to hear me. At a, at a quarter to three... 
Sean Mooney joins us. He's co-author of the book A-League Inside Story of the Tumultuous First Decade. He's also been writing uh, in the last few days a really interesting background article for The Guardian about uh, the standoff between the FFA and the clubs and, and the huge golf colours that's opened up between the both that has yet to be a breach. G'day, Sean. How are you? Hey, good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, read your article yesterday with real interest that uh, you know, the A-League Grand Final was one of the best. Um, plenty to talk about in terms of, of the football, but uh, now that that's all finished, the, the uh, golf between the A-League clubs and the FFA has to be dealt with, and it looks like it's a long way off being resolved to anyone's satisfaction. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, there was, uh, in, in the lead-up of the uh, A-League Grand Final, um, just after the Warren Dolan Awards, they, there was uh, the owners actually walked out on uh, David Gallup and his CEO uh, when they said to him that we're going to, uh, when they gave out their cash disbursements for next year. They walked out uh, of a meeting. That is correct. It was sort of a bit orchestrated, to be honest. Um, so the whole, the whole idea of it um, throughout is that leading up to the actual TV deal and, uh, and obviously to this stage, the clubs are still claiming that they would actually uh, like the cash disbursements given to them to be at $6 million. Um, and the FFA came to them with 3.25. So there's a bit of a gap in between where both parties believe, um, you know, where it should be. Uh, Sean, it's Carlos. Uh, how much is how much is this lack of trust and this, uh, I don't know, uh, just probably uh, lack of confidence in the leadership at FFA to do with the way the, the banner was passed on from Frank Lowy to, to Stephen Lowy and the fact that the, the clubs now through their association are trying to get more more uh, more of a presence in the Congress? Uh, it depends who you speak to. Uh, generally, the like the main sort of consensus is that um, obviously it wasn't a really good look. Uh, there's no doubt about it with the nepotism of Stephen Lowy going into taking over from his father, Frank. Uh, however, they sort of looked at it and said, well, you know, Stephen is a successful businessman in his own right. Uh, he was he was one of the main uh, people in in helping Westfield, particularly over the last 15 years, more than triple the value of their their real estate assets in terms of their shopping centres. So they sort of looked at it and going, well, let's give this guy a go. But they've, they've not really been overly impressed. And a lot of it happens to do with what you could probably say is like this Kevin Rudd-like mentality of how he handles things. Uh, it, it's quite bureaucratic. Uh, there's a bit of paralysis by analysis. And, and that is what they sort of look at. They go, well, Frank was obviously a bit more entrepreneurial. He was, you know, a self-made man. Uh, he was also, uh, you know, very strong and, and, and visionary is probably the word that you hear used a lot. And they just don't see that with Stephen. Um, and obviously with that, when you couple that with David Gallup, who is quite a conservative um, chief executive officer, you know, a fairly conservative sports administrator. But, yeah, so they're looking for a bit of boldness in that vision. Uh, so that's where they sort of probably a bit more disappointed. And, and obviously within that, uh, this group that they've put behind the scenes um, with the clubs, uh, the power that they want is really the ownership of the a the ownership of the A League. Uh, this all this other governance thing, uh, getting seats, extra seats on Congress, is probably a bit more of a sideshow, really. Was the TV deal and the lack of money that came from that three hundred forty-six million dollar return uh, the uh, the flashpoint? Did that feel that they'd been undersold? 
Yes. Uh, then you'll speak to some people within who know about TV media who would actually probably say that the deal's not too bad considering the TV viewership of the A-League. Uh, yeah, it is. Look, FFA sort of needed around about $70 million to come from all their broadcast money, and that's including the digital platforms and what they sell overseas. And that is also to cover sort of their costs and also to give extra money um, towards that. Now, at this stage... Uh, that is at $52 million, um, the cash component per year. And of that cash component, um, that's, that's pretty much the full amount where it is at the moment. And even if this FDA free-to-air agreement comes across with what has been come out yesterday in the news by Don Bossy, the Sydney Morning Herald, which was uh, with Channel 7, uh, it doesn't look like they'll get much on top of what they already got. And obviously, there'll be a, a few million here and there with um, overseas rights. So they're real short of this $80 million. And that was one of the things, is that FFA, when they brought in Boston Consulting Group to help them work out the, the strategy for the next four years, sort of went and said, well, how do we get $200 million in revenue as a federation so we can give more money to, to these clubs and also to the member states as well? And the, the quickest way to get there was to move its current TV deal from that 40-odd million up to $80 million. So it was doubling that. And it's, it's so far, you know, it, it looks like if they get to 60, it's, it's, you know, they're still going to be 20-odd million short. Just not, Sean, uh, it, have, has the FFA got the appetite to give more autonomy to these clubs and, and even, you know, have a breakaway with the A-League and the FFA because that's what the clubs want. I feel, my gut feeling is that they've lost confidence in the leadership there. They feel that they would be more incentive for them to, to run their own show. Have the FFA got an appetite to relinquish some of the control? Uh, and will the clubs, what will they do if they don't get it? Uh, probably just assessing the state of play. I, I dare say that uh, it will probably be a joint arrangement. That, that's what FFA have actually been sort of saying. Is, is that they will relinquish some control, not all, because they, they will look at it and say, look, there are some owners there. There are some eccentric owners, if it's a polite way of putting it. Um, do we really want to give them the keys to the kingdom? So um, when you actually have a look at um, where FFA sort of look at it is, is that their sales pitch this whole time uh, has been is, is to... And they, they use the other codes as the example, like the, particularly like AFL... Uh, where they're saying we've got all these multiple assets, which is W League, A League, uh, the Socceroos, etc. And what we can do is, is we can actually get broader uh, sponsorship arrangements and we can get more money. So we can sit there and go to one sponsor, here, why don't you have grassroots football and also why don't you have A League and actually increase the actual financial pie. Uh, the, uh, the A-League clubs have a differing view on that. Uh, they sort of believe that, you know, if they, they're smart enough businessmen, uh, you know, in their own right, and that they ha- they have the interest of the league and obviously that focus and be able to drive the commercial arrangements. But when you look at it, I, I don't see where they would get, and even asking those questions, where would they get that natural, like this massive drive in revenue? What they're sort of talking about is not far off the numbers in terms of growing the revenue pie from where FFA thinks they should be. Good to talk to you, Sean. It's uh, yet to be resolved, but a great background, great backgrounding piece that you wrote yesterday for The Guardian. Thanks for talking to us.
No worries, thank you. Sean Mooney there, uh, co-author of the uh, book that he wrote with our good friend John Stensholt, The Inside Story of the Tumultuous First Decade of the A-League, and also check out his article on the Guardian website about the background to the standoff between A-League owners and the FFA. And Talking the world game, uh, we need to talk about Mitch Nichols, Western Sydney Wanderers uh, player who's uh, got himself in a spot of bother. Casablanca yeah. nightclub, double bay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Was it Casablanca, was it? Okay. But uh, look, he's just recently been cut from the West Sydney was- uh, roster and uh, uh, apparently the, the official line he was going overseas to seek opportunities over there. But he was caught, I think, overnight. Uh, they had a, The police went in there with their dogs. Uh, just a random sweep of the place, and uh, he had gear on him, unfortunately. And, uh, and so I think he's been charged, and uh, uh, who knows what's going to happen to him. But uh, for me, we don't get too many of that, uh, those incidents in, in football, soccer, uh, especially the after-hours sort of stuff. Uh, but uh, maybe there's more money in the game, and suddenly we're going to have more of these uh, situations. Oh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, if he was planning to go overseas and try his luck playing, uh, he's going to find it a lot harder to do uh, if he's got a criminal conviction. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about Wayne Rooney too. Have you been following this yarn about Rooney uh, in the last few days? Turning up to a Manchester casino and spending half a million dollars, it's believed, in the space of about 90 million, yeah. million in, uh, half a million pounds, so a million Australian dollars in the space of about... 90 minutes in a casino, which is his right. I mean, he's yeah. earning that much money, but it was a bit strange. He turned up on his own yep. um, and uh, went on this gambling splurge and it's kind of yeah. a bit of Scotty No Mate's lonely guy. Yeah, during the, the season, of, yeah. there's a 24-hour casino, one of those ones, uh, for high rollers. Uh, so for him, I mean, it's, he's, not one, he's not a guy that you'd miss. You know, in, no. in a public place like that. So he needs the Groucho Marx uh, glasses <laughs> and moustache. But there is a real... You know, some of the articles have been written just on the back of this. Uh, he, like, he wasn't breaking the law, no. didn't do anything wrong. Uh, maybe from the club, yeah, they wouldn't have been that. happy about it. But, uh, but uh, there is some a suggestion that, you know, people are, are actually a bit worried about what's going to happen to Wayne Rooney after his career. Obviously, he's only 30. He turns 31 yeah. later this year. That's right. He's got fifth, plenty, surely he's got plenty of football left. Well, I'm hoping he goes back to Everton. You know, he, he will probably give him the leadership, leadership position there, uh, you know, back to the hometown club, and that might give him some direction in life after football. He's still got another four or five years for me uh, playing at a, at a decent level. He won't be the Wayne Rooney of all. He would have lost that yard of pace and so forth. But I think he'll be fantastic for Everton. And, and they weren't talking about that for a while, but uh, but now they are. So uh, I think the, the China move is a bit, uh, even though all the money in the world's there, but they're only allowed to play three foreigners at the one time in the Chinese team. So that's changed, changed the whole psychology of, of their recruiting over there. So I'm thinking, what will save Wayne Rooney? Give him some meaning, get him back to Everton, and uh, give him some leadership there. And, yeah. uh, and he we might have something after football we, that he can go yeah, to. We don't want to see him go down the Gascoigne path no. in whatever way, shape or form. I saw an interview with Gazza recently, and it mm. was heartbreaking. Good on you, mate. Thanks, mate.